the four o'clock football frenzy. Presented by Dustin DeHart of Nova Home Loans. Call him now at 702-577-2600. The four o'clock football frenzy on Cofield and Company. Company. Get some uh, football updates, some stories. First of all, I want to get into this with Miles Simmons in a couple of minutes, but uh, what's your deal on Caleb Farley? What's my deal, or yeah. what is what is the deal? I mean, the deal and your prediction, and who is he, and why does it matter? I I, I think he's the most one of the more intriguing. I was going to say the most, but I'd say one of the more intriguing storylines of the draft because I I'm envisioning draft night where we get to a spot say around 18 like say right after the Raiders maybe even the Raiders I, I doubt they would they would pick them but like right after the Raiders pick and you like every pick we just start saying is this the spot is this the spot and he's a guy that has top five you know maybe maybe top 10 at the worst talent and ability and would be picked there but there are a lot of injury histories there was a torn ACL there was a back issue uh, back issue popped up again. He had some surgery recently. Uh, there's just a lot of concerns about how long he could be able to play in the NFL. But there are there is a large contingent of scouts and personnel who believe he's the best corner in the draft, and and would absolutely uh, be a you know as I said top ten at worst pick if not for those question marks. So who's the team that says you know what if it works out? We have a legit lockdown number one corner, and if it doesn't, we wasted a first round pick. That's a big, that's a big discrepancy, and that's a lot of risk to take. Uh, but who's the team that does it? And I'm just envisioning draft night, night one, the Thursday night coverage, the second half of the round, be, that being the talk of who finally steps up and takes them. Some free agent running backs coming off the board the last couple of days. Giovanni Bernard, interesting, right? Interesting landing spot. James Conner, Cardinals. Yeah. With uh, Chase Edmonds. What do you think of the signing? I mean, I, I, they, needed a, they, needed another, another, they needed another running back. At least they felt like they did. James Conner has a ton of ability. Um, hasn't always... You know, been the most productive guy, but he he can be pretty versatile. He's he's kind of a guy uh, that you know you you, you put him in the backfield. Uh, I think they want to make Edmonds their their feature back, but Connor certainly uh, is capable in short yardage, capable of catching passes, capable of doing a lot of things as a running back. Uh, I like um, that part of it. I don't you know I don't think he's going to blow anybody away and say oh they got Connor this is going to be big for them. Um, he's he's just a guy there, which I think you know that's. That's that's fine. There's nothing good, nothing bad necessarily. Fills the spot and he'll make some plays. I think Giovanni Bernard is a more interesting signing for a couple of reasons. One, um, haven't seen. I still haven't seen the contract numbers, but I'm going to assume they got him for much much less than the Raiders got Kenyon Drake uh, as kind of a similar type role. Uh, and here here's another one, which if you ever say when when a coach has a quote or a coach talks about something. Um, you you never can just take that for completely face value, because one of the things that reporters often went at uh, Bruce Arians about last year was the drop passes from the running backs. 
and how you know it was happening too often. Was he concerned about it? And he used to you know fight back on the answer and just be like, I you know you guys are just seeing things. You're just trying to find holes. You're trying to nitpick here and there. Uh, we kind of came after him a little bit at, on occasion. And then the Bengals clearly make a statement about the re- receiving ability of their backfield by going out and getting Giovanni Bernard to be that receiving back uh, that can help in that regard. So clearly, as much as he wanted to pretend it wasn't an issue, it was an issue last year. I want to see the numbers, too. On the running backs? Yeah. On the contracts? Uh-huh. For sure. <laughs> it's going to be really interesting. I mean, I, I I think Kenyon Drake is a more dynamic player. Yeah. Uh, I think he's a better player. He should be making more money than Giovanni Bernard. But I think when when it is a salary cap world, like the percentage of cap you take up matters a lot. And you better be significantly better to take up that much of the cap compared to other players of similar value. So we're getting team updates on this Justin Fields second workout, which is interesting. Kind of the the details around it we'll get into with Miles Simmons from Pro Football Talk here in a couple of minutes. So the teams that you would expect to be interested, Niners. Sure. Right? Falcons. Sure. They're going to be watching them. Patriots are on the list. Hmm. Uh-oh. What's going on here? Trade up. I, I think Jets are going to be checking him out, oh, which I love. It's great. I don't, I don't love Zach Wilson, but what I love from the Jets is it's the NFL draft. You wanted it? You got it! <laughs> you want to play games? Then you got it. And I, I really hope the Jets go into draft day with no one knowing who they're going to take and with the potential of moving back. I hope they like a couple of the quarterbacks. I, I could not care less. Right way to do it? Yes. About getting Zach Wilson. I want max value for the pick. I like Justin Fields more. But I would love for them to, to get some more draft capital. Would love it. Well, I, I think Wilson I think Wilson is a little bit ahead of Fields, but if you're telling me I could have either Wilson or like Fields and then the next two years of first round picks. I don't think you're getting the next two years of first round picks, but who what if the what if the Patriots want to trade up to number two? You know what's crazy? The other thing I was thinking of is uh I like that the Jets because at least this this uh maybe they really want to, you know, they may want to check out Fields and hey, you know, we've always been interested in him. Let's get more info on him. The other one is if Kyle, if people are this crazy about Kyle Pitts, maybe there's some moron who will trade up to two to get Kyle Pitts. Maybe I, I doubt ahead. that. I mean, I doubt it, but you're right. I mean, it, that's a that's a possibility, which would be which would completely change. Would love it. The complexion of the draft, especially uh, considering, okay. I think I'll take an extra first down the road if I'm the Jets. Wilson to be picked second is like minus a thousand or something higher than that, even. Uh, so yeah, that would open up some real possibilities in the betting world. I'd be excited to see that. But, uh, but yeah, the Jets and the Patriots, some of the, uh, the late entrance into this workout. Patriots, that's fascinating. It's not going to happen. Well, I, I just saw, and, you know, it is what it is with Mel Kuyper, and you can feel how you want to feel. I believe he has them taking Justin Fields. He does, yeah. He had, uh, he had by him trading, trading up to 10. Okay. I thought it was 8, but whatever. Somewhere. Yeah. 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 Uh, trading with the Cowboys or Cowboys trading are, with the Broncos? I thought it was trading with the Cowboys at 10. Okay. Uh, to get Fields, if Fields tumbles to that spot, which I 
would be surprised by. I I have him going third. I don't think I don't believe the Mac Jones stuff. So I have him going third to the 49ers. But if he does fall that far, wouldn't the Patriots be silly not to make a move to try to go get him? They're so seldom in the spot, and come on, the clock's ticking. He's got to get something that, you know, or someone who's going to be the quarterback of the future. Yeah, at, at some you're gonna, point. You're going to push it off, what, an, another year, another year after that? You're 100 years old. Let's go. Unless they are planning on trading for Garoppolo. Or they're just waiting out Deshaun Watson, get him at freaking rock bottom value. That would be so annoying. <laughs> I know you'd be annoying. so annoying. <laughs> That said, I don't. I have no idea when that situation is going to be resolved, and we're not taking it lightly. No, it's a very serious situation. Serious NFL talk coming up with Miles Simmons next. Dustin DeHart of Nova Home Loans brings you the four o'clock football frenzy. Dial seven zero two five seven seven twenty six hundred now. Home prices have never been higher, and interest rates have never been lower. Get your mortgage tune up today by calling five seven seven twenty six hundred. Cofield and Company is back. Fun times in Cleveland again. Still Cleveland. Come on down to Cleveland Town, everyone. Under construction since 1868. See our river that I, I gotta say, on fire. It's Remote Tech Angel loves the, the weirdest songs. He knows this Cleveland song. He's singing in the background. Yeah. Uh, we got Miles Simmons in, who, of course, is a uh, Clevelander, defender of Cleveland. Uh, before we get to Miles, we were just... Last couple of days, we're talking about this uh, ridiculous. We're, we're buying into it. This ridiculous discussion of Julian Edelman being a Hall of Famer, and I saw that Eric Eager from Pro Football Focus, he sent this one out. He's like, he's like, I was thinking Edelman was kind of close to like a Heinz Ward, and then he goes, I looked at Heinz Ward's numbers. Oh my god, the difference. Edelman has 620 catches for about 6,800 yards. Heinz Ward had a thousand catches for 12,000 yards. <laughs> Edelman's got 36 touchdowns in the regular season. Heinz Ward has 85. In the playoffs, like, oh, well, the playoffs! Yeah, Heinz Ward played uh, one last game and has double the touchdowns. So not close. They're not close at all. No. Miles Simmons is in. Edelman Hall of Famer, go. Uh, I, think yeah. he's a, I think he's a Patriots Hall of Famer. I don't know yeah. if, he's a, if he's a Hall of Famer or not. I mean, I, I'm, I, so since you said that, I, I, I pulled up the stats myself. And if you look at his first four years, like, he just was kind of a nobody. And then all of a sudden in 13, you know, he catches 105 balls and he's got over 1,000 yards receiving. Only went over 1,000 yards three times in his career. One of those was 2019. And, you know, that one was when Brady basically had nobody else to throw to but him. Oh, I did win a, couple, a few Super Bowls, three of them. Um, eh. I think he's a Patriots Hall of Famer, but you know, looking at the numbers right now, I don't, I don't, I, the Pro Football Hall of Fame, nah, I don't, I don't think so. Eh. Do we? <laughs> do we? I mean, this sounds wrong to say, but do we even care about the Hall of Fame? Ooh. Um. Yes and no. I mean, I do, and I I know that that guys do. You know, there are guys who really sort of like campaign. For trying for trying to get into the Hall of Fame, and some of their teammates do that too. Where, and I'm thinking specifically about the Rams right now, where you know Kurt Warner obviously really wanted to be in the Hall of Fame. Um, uh, Isaac Bruce really wanted to be in the Hall of Fame, and I know a lot of guys of that Greatest Show on Turf squad really want Tory Holt to also be in the Hall of Fame. And I think Tory Holt was one of the best 
wide receivers of his era. And I, I really do believe that he should be in the Hall of Fame. So I think it still matters in at least that respect. Um, does it matter to fans all that much? Eh, probably not. But I, I mean, especially being a person from Northeast Ohio, I, I have a respect and an appreciation for going down there to Canton and seeing all the names and all the faces and all the busts and stuff like that. I, I think it's still a pretty cool deal. So I, I'd say it still matters. What is going on, if you could try to explain, I think there's a lot of moving pieces and a lot of parts to this uh, potential, uh, I don't even want to call it a boycott, a, a sitting right. out of It's not a boycott, the, because if, yeah, how can you the, boycott something that's voluntary? Like It's already right. saying that you don't have to be there, so is that really a boycott? Yeah. Yeah, so I mean, I guess, how would you describe it? Or what would you make of it to people that are like, wait, what is going on? Because I saw you having kind of a discussion on Twitter of, the differences between you know minicamp and OTAs and everything that's going on, like where is this headed and what is this offseason going to look like? It's a good question. I mean, I think that at least at this point, you already have guys that are coming into facilities sometimes to work out. So in that respect, it's not like guys are prohibited from being in the team facility. And I think you might see guys come in, especially – for this early part of what the off-season program is. So this is part of the discussion I was getting into on Twitter. I think a lot of people use OTAs and the off-season program interchangeably, and that's not really what it is. The OTAs are practices that come at the end of the off-season program. Usually they start in late May and they go into June. There are 10 of them, and they are still voluntary. They are still basically optional practices that guys often go in and out of. And, you know, this is something that uh, Broncos kicker Brandon McManus was talking about. The Broncos obviously today released their statement and said they're not coming to any of the voluntary parts of OTAs for workouts. Excuse me, as I mess it up, the off-season program for <laughs> workouts. So, I know, I can't, I can't believe I just got on here and messed up the thing I'm talking about. People mess up all the time. I guess that's karma for you, right? So... Anyway, what the early part of the off-season program is and what it's supposed to start next week is guys basically coming in for meetings and installs. So they start figuring out what the playbook is, and then they go outside or they go to the weight room and then they work out with uh, their head strength and conditioning coach and a bunch of other people. So if you're not having this part of the off-season program, that's really not necessarily that big of a deal because if you want to say, all right, you're substituting the virtual meetings for the in-person classroom stuff, yeah, that makes sense from a health and safety standpoint. And also, guys can work out on their own. I mean, they can go to any park at this point, right, because it's not like parks are closed like they were last year and all that. You can go run. You can lift. You can find somewhere to work out. And frankly, I think a lot of guys will even say, yeah, I can go work out at the team facility. But you're trying to prevent this mass gathering. And I think that makes a lot of sense, at least at this point, where there are still a lot of people who aren't vaccinated. But if you start looking at a month, two months down the road, where you're in the middle of June, and that's really where the mandatory mini camps are, and that's the only part of the off-season program that is not voluntary, then I think we could be in a different situation. Because if you're saying that you want guys to be able to come in and basically just have a three-day retreat, where you're talking about football, you're doing football stuff, because that's what mini camp is, um, then I think that's a little bit different, especially because at that point, most people who want to be able to get a vaccine should be able to get a vaccine. And I think we're also almost in the case of that right now. 
you know, where most people are eligible to at least sign up for a vaccine around the country. At that point, most people who want to be fully vaccinated should be able to be fully vaccinated. So I think when you're talking about the off-season program right now and what they're missing versus what they could be missing with the mini camp, it's very different. I don't know how well I answered that question. That was good. Miles Simmons, uh, pro football talk, uh, joining us here on COVID a company as he does each and every week. Uh, we have draft coming up. We have all this offseason stuff to, that's get, that we're getting into and talking about. Uh, but I was very intrigued by the potential announcement in Buffalo uh, that they may not allow fans into the stadium that haven't been vaccinated and the firestorm that's going to result from this. Uh, what do you think? Do you think this is going to be the standard around the league of teams or, or of, of different jurisdictions are going to try to make it so fans have to be vaccinated to go to games this fall? I think it might depend on where it is, right? I, I think that this is something that's going to be really interesting to see in New York. And I can see something like this happening in New Jersey as well, which is where the two teams with New York in their name actually play. But I think this being in New York, especially in Buffalo, this could be very interesting because I saw Jordan Poyer's wife uh, was tweeting something about they're going to pay, they're going to be sorry or something like that. <laughs> and like, I, what does that even mean? Like, I don't think that that's actually going to happen. Like, I, I think it makes a lot of sense if I'm a fan and I'm trying to go into a stadium like this, even if it is open air, I, I would want to know that the people around me, if it's going to be all that crowded, have been vaccinated. So I have much, 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 much less risk of actually contracting this virus that has killed so many different people in this country. So I think it makes sense for there. But if you're talking about different places, like I can't see this happening in Texas. So I don't think that it's going to be the same standard for each and every team in each and every stadium. I, I just I don't think so. Um, I think it's going to a lot of it is going to depend on what different states decide that they want to do. But the NFL has already come out and said, yeah, we anticipate having full stadiums in the fall. So every different state and every different team, unfortunately, might have to make a determination of what that looks like. And frankly, that's the way it was last year anyway. So I guess we're just going to have to see the way it turns out. I suggest a regular feature on the social media ramblings of, of Mrs. Poyer. Uh, it, it'd be highly entertaining. Uh, also, I would say that the, the photos would be good for clicks as well. Um, but she's Q. I'm not saying she is Q, like she's a Q believer. So uh, I think a lot of interesting content could come, could come out of that. Not surprising that she's uh, being very anti-vax up on social media right now. Uh, I was just making the case, Miles, that Caleb Farley might be the most interesting story of round one of the NFL draft. Uh, top five or top ten talent uh, with medical condi- with medical issues that may be a red flag to some teams. Uh, do you think that will be the storyline night one as we watch and see what team takes a chance on him? No, I think it's going to be the quarterbacks. And if the Atlanta Falcons actually decide that they're going to take one at number four overall uh, to be the quarterback in waiting while Matt Ryan is still there. And I say that because quarterbacks move the needle more than cornerbacks, right? I think more people know who Justin Fields is than know who Caleb Farley is. Right? More people know who Trey Lance is, despite the fact that he didn't really even play much in 2020, then they know who Caleb Farley is. So I think maybe from a Las Vegas regional standpoint, like if he happens to be picked in the first round and 
you know, that's somebody who uh, plays the same position as Damon Arnett and Trayvon Mullen, like, that would be very interesting. Um, but I, I just I feel like there's going to be some more action that happens within the top ten. And so whether it's, you know, seeing where Penny Sewell ends up going or Jamar Chase and, you know, if guys actually are effectively penalized by certain teams um, for sitting out the 2020 season, and obviously Farley's one of those guys, um, I think that could be more intriguing if for no other reason than because, like, look, when you have a quarterback and you need to see where he's going to go and where he's going to play, I just I feel like that moves the needle more. Do you believe the Mac Jones at three, or do you think it's going to be Lance or Fields? Who? <laughs> Sorry. Uh, <laughs> do you understand what I just did there? I've been waiting to do that to somebody for a really long good. time. Um, yes, I do uh, believe <laughs> that Mac Jones is probably, <laughs> thank you for laughing, uh, going to go to uh, the Niners at three. I just, it, it's almost like there's too much smoke. And unless they are running some really elaborate smoke screen and they are doing it extremely well, then I don't know how everybody could possibly be this wrong, you know? And, you know, I, there's some things that Mac Jones has done and some things that people have said about Mac Jones that I think are really, really interesting. Like, just the fact that, um, oh, my goodness, Devontae Smith and uh, the other wide receiver, Jalen Waddle. There are a lot of names in my head right now. You all have to forget. <laughs> but the fact that both of those guys have basically come out and said, hey, Mac Jones prepared better than Tua Tagovailoa. Mac Jones is probably a little bit more effective than Tua Tagovailoa. Tua Tagovailoa was number five overall pick last year. And I think there were times where we saw Tua Tagovailoa struggle um, over different things that he had to do in terms of reading defenses in the NFL. If that is actually the case and Mac Jones is better at those things, then it kind of stands to reason that there's uh, some optimism about what he can do as a quarterback in the NFL. I, I think from that standpoint, it makes sense. I think he would be a decent team fit. Um, so, yeah, unless they are just running the best little screen of all time and they actually are going to pick somebody like Trey Lance or they're going to go after Justin Fields, it just seems like there's no other way that they're going to go. I, I just feel like they're going to get Mac Jones. Not Miles, Mike great Jones. job. Great job, buddy. Mike Jones. Yeah, there you go. Great job. Ooh. We appreciate it. Thank you. <laughs> Talk to you guys next week. There's too many jokes going on. Too much fun. Yes. Mike Jones. It's good. It. It's tough it. not to scream it when you say it. Yes. I get it. You start doing it. I get it. it. One of my favorites. <laughs> uh, get up to LVSportsNetwork.com right now. LVSportsNetwork.com. We've got our Drafting for Dough contest, NFL Draft Contest, brought to you by Nova Home Loans, giving away $1,000 in cash and then another 250 bucks in a gift card from the uh, Raiders Image Store. And all you got to do is pick the uh, first 17 picks of the NFL Draft. Whoever gets the most matches, you're the winner. Chance to win 1000 bucks. $250 gift card from Raiders Image Gift Store. And the best part about it, it's free. You go up to lvsportsnetwork.com, and that's how you get in. It's all thanks to Nova Home Loans, 877-700-NOVA. Remember, all your picks at lvsportsnetwork.com for our Drafting for Doe contest must be in by next Wednesday, April 28th. Cofield got his mortgage tuned up. You should, too. Call 877-700-NOVA now to lower your interest rate and lower your payments. Time now 
for Dustin DeHart's Club 99. Back to Steve Cofield. Big Five's up in about 30 minutes. We'll get you an update on uh, how the Raiders may be reacting to what the Broncos and Seahawks were saying today that, hey, we're not showing up for workouts. COVID, it's not safe. Players Association is telling us, uh, you know, this ain't kosher. So we'll tell you what is going on with the Raiders. Uh, breaking news in on college basketball, very hardcore, but uh, the Abilene Christian coach just got hired by UTEP. You're thinking to yourself, why does UTEP need a coach? Rodney Terry was there. Rodney Terry left the head coaching job to go be an assistant at Texas with Chris Beard. Yeah. How crazy yeah. is that? Uh, awesome. Meanwhile, Beard, that you know what, uh, he just landed a Kentucky transfer in uh, Askew. So it's going to happen at Texas. I, I, I he, he drives me nuts, Beard. <laughs> But he's gonna win at Texas. It's a dream job. Look out! Look out, Kansas. Uh, and I saw Kansas today lost one of their, you know, highly touted freshmen at least on his way in, in uh, Thompson. So a lot of moving and shaking with the transfer portal. It's still yeah. going on. Chris Beard with unlimited budget. Yeah, could be trouble. Very much. Now he just has to win at Texas, right? I mean, I, I think with an unlimited budget, he will. He's gonna win at a high level, yeah. no doubt. Uh, unlimited budget to put together a fight in the UFC doesn't always mean that the fight's going to happen. Well, what are we doing here with Conor McGregor and, and Dustin Poirier? It's the obvious fight. Get the rematch. Maybe Conor wins back. Well, whatever. There's no title. It, he's all pit. What happened? Uh, Poirier was mad at him that, that Conor McGregor let him down on some packed promise. And well, now, now McGregor's acting like a baby. Like, oh, you're going to push me? All right, I'm out. Yeah. Well, or you're out. Poirier had the choice of either fighting for the title or fighting McGregor. He made the correct choice of fighting Conor McGregor because it's it's worth so much money to you uh, in your career, not only in this fight, but in future fights because it makes you more marketable, especially if he has two wins over Conor. All of a sudden, he's a bigger star and can get more money out of it. Uh, so he agreed to this fight. And then the other day, uh, Dustin Poirier decided to put something out. So these guys fought last year during the pandemic. And Dustin Poirier has a charity. Uh, which has been, you know, has done a lot of good work in his community down in Louisiana. Uh, other fighters have definitely participated uh, in this charity. Khabib Nurmagomedov, who previously fought Dustin Poirier, uh, not only made a donation, uh, a straight donation, but also uh, gave Poirier his fight shorts from the fight to and signed them to sell uh, and helped out in some other ways, too, with some other memorabilia, things like that. Conor McGregor heard about this and he said, OK, I'll donate 500000 to your charity. And that was a big storyline around the previous fight where Poirier said, hey, not, you know, it was cool that uh, even after beating him, he still agreed to donate 500000 to my charity. And now as they get set for the rematch in July, which they hope to be at T-Mobile Arena here in Vegas, Dustin Poirier decided to send out a tweet that said, oh, by the way, I, you know, you guys all know the attention that Connor got, got for his donation to my charity. We still haven't got the check. And that set Connor off. He is claiming that his team of advisors are demanding to know exactly how the money is going to be allocated in the charity and that they will not write the check until they get that information from Poirier. Again, Dustin Poirier like runs his charity himself. He's got a couple of people doing it, but like he's just trying to, he's just trying to do good things in in the community. It's not some massive charity. It's not like so, so the guy who's the guy who's facing charges seemingly every four months is worried about someone else pulling fraud on him. Yeah, they okay. they want to they want an account a full accounting 
of exactly where the money is going to go from this $500,000 donation from Conor McGregor. Uh, so Conor said, because you decided to go public with this and try to shame me, you're out. I'm fighting somebody new. So is that the way it works? Does he book the In fight? In Conor world, yes. Yeah. Who would he it fight? Um, would, would we care? No, doesn't really matter. Justin, I'm saying who Justin, who do you, who would be who would be the next candidate? To Justin fight? Gaethje. All right, that'd be fun. I mean, I if McGregor wants to go out in a body bag, I guess I think I'd yeah. want to fight Poirier. Be a bad, that'd be a bad idea. Well, Poirier's going to beat him too. He already beat him once. I think Gaethje would destroy again. him. So do I. I think it's a bad. He's matchup. actually got a shot against Poirier. Yeah, I think it's a bad matchup. Mm-hmm. So I know Kevin Lee has stepped up. He wants to fight. He'll take it. Well, he'll 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 always he's always going <laughs> to yes. step up. You know that. Yes, for sure. But uh, so this is going back and forth. Now, I, I believe they'll probably still fight and that this will just be used as a marketing tool for the fight that, right. you know, Connor is mad at him now and whatever. Is that what it is from the get go? Is he really mad? I think he's mad that he was shamed like that. Yeah. But I think in the end, he'll be like, oh, yeah, that's actually actually a good thing for the fight. I mean, if I, if I was poor, yeah, I, I wouldn't back down. I'd, I'd Now I'd amp it up even more. Yeah, of course. Yeah. You're afraid of me and you're a freaking louse. Yeah. And, and how bad? I mean. In the end, you want the you you want the fight to happen because you want the paycheck and it's going to be massive. But like, how how annoyed? Uh, I was just going to say, fans will be very annoyed at Connor if he kicks Poirier out of the fight for making this public. But at the same time, like there are enough sycophants uh, of McGregor that they would just be like, yeah, that's the right thing to do. Screw that guy. Can we find some good? What what's the uh, the charity is the Good Fight Foundation? Good Fight Foundation. Can we find some good pictures? Of like Poirier helping out someone in need, just make sure we put that out there. Actually, we shouldn't do it. Poirier should do it. Well, I think, uh, as you said, it's the Good Fight Foundation. I I could be wrong, but I think Connor this morning tweeted something like he's starting the Fighting Good Foundation. Oh my god! Or like some some takeoff of the Good Fight Foundation to just dwarf uh, Dustin Poirier's charity, which is completely unnecessary. Whatever. You love Connor. Uh, I mean, I, I'm starting to obviously I'm starting to tolerate less because he's really he didn't really show a whole lot of prep going into the last fight. He looked like crap. He looked like an old man. There's no need for that. It's way too big. He, he, I don't think he cares. Well, then I'm losing interest if he doesn't care. I mean, I guess it's fun watching him get his ass kicked, but not not really. I mean, we already saw it. I don't need to see it again. Like if I think he's going to come back focused, then. Then I'm into it. All right. Well, we got to talk about another fight uh, on the way back. We'll get into uh, some of the news around Jake Paul. Believe it or not, people care about this. I already bet the fight. It's a boxing match. YouTube guy against MMA guy. We'll get into that. And also what's happening around the world of baseball early in the season with our gambling insider on Tuesday, Sammy P. Club 99 is presented by Dustin DeHart at Nova Home Loans. Want to talk interest rates and ask about getting your mortgage tuned up? Dustin is Cofield's real estate guy. He needs to be yours, too. Call Dustin DeHart at 577-2600. It's Cofield and Company's Eye on Sports Betting with Sammy P. Sammy P. All right, here we go. Let's get out to, I think, New England. Sam, where are you right now, world traveler? I'm in my bedroom in Boston, Massachusetts. Wow. All right. That wasn't as sexy as I thought. Well, it that's happens. because it I happens. didn't you're... play the bump. Yes, yes. Well, you're, you're, not, you're, not, always, you're not always traveling. Um, I think Von Tobel might be going on a big vacation coming up. Did you hear about the uh, Matsuyama 50-1 to win by JVT, who uh, knows nothing about golf? 
I heard. Yeah, I actually heard. I was rooting for him too. Um, I didn't know he was a big golf guy either. But fifty to one and whatever. I mean, I'll take a fifty to one in table tennis and bobsledding. <laughs> I'll take a fifty to one in whatever you got. Just hook it up to my veins. You you thought the Masters was a really cool wagering event? We just had so much going on, and you know, if you think back, you know, when I moved to Vegas in February eighteen, you know, that was my first Masters in Vegas, the twenty eighteen. Um, you couldn't really do a lot of the in-play stuff. Like, you know, at the end of a round, a lot of the Vegas folks would put up a new market for outrights. Like, they would recalibrate the numbers after Thursday, after Friday, after Saturday, and then you could always bet up until, you know, the first shot the following day. But we saw wall-to-wall wagering in the Masters at multiple American sports books, not only in Vegas, but the DraftKings, the FanDuel's, the MGM's, the points bets. They were letting you bet the outright winner at any point in time on Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And we saw a couple books go even more next level. They were letting a select group of golfers, like six or eight per day, you could bet going into a hole, you could bet birdie or better, par, bogey or worse. And I think this just goes to show you that the more candy in the candy aisle, like we always talk about, the more options I have, the more candy in the aisle, the more likely I'm leaving with candy. I uh, I really can't keep track of all the partnerships. What, does the PJ have a current partner with uh, a sports book? I thought they had something going on with. Well, it depends on which channel the the event is on, right? Because okay, I know yeah, CBS yeah. has to deal with William Hill. NBC had a broadcast a couple months ago, and they were showing off all of the uh, points bet odds <laughs> because points bet yeah. has a partnership with NBC and the Golf Channel. Yeah, it depends on what channel the event is on, but. You know, partners are, are not partners. I just think the growth of the game, you know, golf has been the one sport over the last five years that has really accepted that people yep. actually watch, and most people that watch actually gamble on it. <laughs> Why else am I going to watch golf for nine hours a day? Exactly. If I don't have exactly I ain't watching it. Exactly, and that's what I was getting at. Golf Digest, I was just looking up a story. Uh, there are four partnerships with the PGA. They're smart. There's no exclusivity. So they're partnered with DraftKings, PointsBet, uh, BetMGM and FanDuel, and you can see it because it's a perfect sport from a pace standpoint to have in-play wagering. Gol- if if the if the folks in golf are into gambling, it, it seems like they are. It's brilliant because I think it's. I'm not going to say the sport needs to be saved, but it's certainly going to expand the audience. And there are so many pockets to gamble because if you think about going into Sunday, you have 18 different chances to wager on Hideki Matsuyama because once he was. In front, he was the leader. You could bet on him in any hole, and this happens 1 through 18. Going into the 18th hole, he's 11 under par. The odds at FanDuel, I was checking this out, you know, all, you know, final round, I guess. Going into the final round, par was minus 290. I think birdie was 5 to 1, and bogey or more was 4 to 1. And Matsuyama, lo and behold, on 18 is lining up for par. And he leaves it like four feet short. So if you laid two ninety on par, first of all, you're an idiot for laying two ninety on a prop. But if you if you laid two ninety on par, he needs to knock in a ten footer, and he leaves it a couple feet short. And then of course he taps it in for bogey. So if you had bogey at four to one, you were a winner. But not only do you wager on the outrights, on the matchups, on all the exotics, we can now wager on an individual golfer what they will do on a certain hole. That's where we're at in golf. 
Sam Paniotovich is with us. He's with Nesson, so he's based in New England. He's in Boston. You know, we talked to Eric Eager, one of our guys from Pro Football Focus, and he said over the weekend he wanted to get money down in the NFL draft. Well, he's in Ohio. They don't have uh, sports gambling legalized there, so he drove to Indiana. He drove to Pennsylvania. Like, what's the scene right now for Massachusetts, Boston area bettors? What are the options to actually get down a bet? If you live in New England, it's okay. If you live in Massachusetts, it sucks because you have to drive no matter what. You're getting squeezed. Like I was in Illinois before Mass, and I had it on the west. You know, I had it in Iowa, and you had it on the east. You had it in Indiana. You can drive, you know, north of the border in Mass. You could drive up to New Hampshire, and they have a casino, and then DraftKings has the mobile control of the entire state. So as long as you cross into New Hampshire and you have a DraftKings account, you can get down. On the flip side, if you drive an hour 30 like I did on Friday to go bet the Bruins to win the Cup, you have to go so far out. Like, it took me hour 30 door-to-door and then an extra 20 minutes once I walked in the casino. Because, you know, we were we don't realize being in Vegas, you live there, I work there. You walk into a casino, there are arrows that guide you to a sports book. (laughs) Sports book, over here, you look for the TVs. They don't have a sports book at Twin River in Rhode Island. They have a race book, and then there are four kiosks along the wall. And if you want to bet $200 and you only have $20 bills, you don't put them all in at once. You put them in one by one. So it's just there are no attendants there, no supervisors. It's not a sports book. It's a bank of kiosks, and the prices all suck. Like, the prices are all shaded down. You know, the world had the Bruins 18-20 to 1. Sportsbook Rhode Island had them at 12 or 14 to 1. So you're not getting a good price. You have to go so far, drive all the way back across the border. I didn't realize how good I had it in Illinois and Nevada, man. Uh, Is that the plan for them, or is that just what they're doing right now? Like, are they going to figure out ways to make it more accessible and, and better for people to get money down? I don't know what the deal is in New Hampshire, Rhode Island. Because remember, Adam, I mean, you know you know the area pretty well. Those are not heavily populated areas. Yeah. So I don't think you're going to have a lot of operators that are going to throw down $5, 10000000 million or whatever to, to have a license in New Hampshire, Rhode Island. That being said, you know, once they come to their senses in mass and the House and the Senate pass the bill and the governor signs the bill, it's going to be Nevada East out here. You're going to have all the American shops. You're going to have, you know, MGM, WinBet. I imagine, you know, Circa's thinking about it. You're going to have FoxBet, William Hill, MGM. They're all going to come out here. So it's sort of a very small market because you only have DraftKings in New Hampshire and the sports book Rhode Island in Rhode Island. You only have two books, but those books run autonomy in those states. Like, there's no line shopping in New Hampshire. You either bet yeah. DraftKings or you don't bet, or you bet with a local bookie, which, believe it or not, still happens. But, yeah, I mean, like, there's not a, there's not a huge market in either state, but that will change whenever it happens in Massachusetts, whenever it gets legalized. There will be 10, 12 operators in the state. So it'll be sort of like Nevada Junior. Well, I, I'm, I'm intrigued by how a lot of these go in, and I, I don't know if you were ever in Delaware before – the rules changed, but when Delaware was one of the first states to come on board and allowing betting, I was excited because I had a family there. And then I went to the sports book one day and they said, Oh, it's parlays only. <laughs> and it's three three teams or more parlays is all you were allowed to bet. I was like, Yeah, this is how I'd run a sports book if I was running a sports book in one of these states. Uh, I just wonder if anybody could try to do that again or 
if is it just there's going to be too much competition from neighboring states like is there a state isolated enough to try to pull this off because that would be the dream as an operator well we talked about a couple of weeks on the show about the montana debacle how they're you know in a hockey game they're charging you minus 220 to go over a total and then you know plus 100 to go under so the, the splits <laughs> are insane in a state like montana but that state is ran by the lottery I don't think we're going to have the uh, the Canada gas station laws like they had in Delaware. But, you know, that was the deal in Canada, too. You could gamble at 18, but you could only throw in a parlay at, like, a gas station. So you'd roll up there, you know, with your $10 bill or whatever, and you'd grab your Kit Kat and your Mountain Dew, and you'd throw the other $5 on the parlay. But, yeah, like you said, that was the way it was in Canada. You couldn't straight bet. You couldn't go side. You couldn't go money line total. You had to find three and parlay them together. So imagine the hold you know, I talk to Murray and Tony Miller and Chris Andrews all the time, and they're like, I wish we could book that way. I wish we could only, yeah. you know, sell three-team parlays at our shop because we would all be – we would all retire on island. It's the dream. There's no there's no question. It would be, it'd be tremendous uh, to run it that way. Uh, I have talked to some sports book, sports book operators too, Sam, and it's a sad state of affairs. I actually was kind of depressed about this last night. But the betting market for Jake Paul – Ben Askren is massive. I haven't seen the market. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to act like I have any clue. I'm going to guess Jake Paul's a favorite. It's a round pick now. Oh, wow. So there's been there's been money on the dog here. Yeah, I mean, look, people gamble on all kinds of things. I mean, I got buddies that, like, you know, roll dice in alleys and, and gamble on fist races. <laughs> so I, I, imagine they'll, I imagine they'll bet on a boxing match, uh, whether it's, you know, sanctioned or not and and i imagine too like those guys are so popular like i was actually looking at jake paul uh and like his following the other day that guy has an insane he's got four million followers on twitter i don't even know what he does i don't even know who he is but he brings people to the party and people are going to buy the fight and watch the fight and gamble on the fight so hey cheers to him because he's gonna he's gonna make more money than i made all year in this fight Sam, what's going on with the uh, Chicken Dinner Podcast? I saw you uh, did a reunion of sorts with one of your uh, Chicago boys. Yeah, Joe Ostrowski and I started the podcast five years ago in Chicago, and that was at a time when I worked at WGN. He worked at 670 to score, and you couldn't, COVID, you couldn't even, like, breathe gambling, let alone talk it. You know, if you, were, if you were thinking about gambling, you'd get fired at that point in time because we were so behind the times. But, yeah, Joe and I had a great conversation about where the space has come we talked about uh, some of our favorite moments on the show. You know, we used to always play those audio clips from the, the Billy Walters 60 Minutes interview with Larry Logan. If you haven't seen that yet and you're interested in sports betting, just Google Billy Walters 60 Minutes. It's like a 15-minute clip, but she goes into the interview having no clue what's going on, and he's explaining how they move lines and move six figures, and he's telling her about people dig through his garbage for winners and stuff like that. And, and then he explains the process of – how he has beards, people who make bets for him and stuff. It's, it's such a great episode of 60 Minutes. But we just talked about the glory days and how much the space has changed because, hey, man, five years ago in Chicago, you couldn't hear sports betting content anywhere. And now it's everywhere. <laughs> you can't get enough. So it's just crazy to look back to 2016, fast forward to 2021, and think about where things have changed. Sam, awesome job, man. We'll talk to you next week. Thank you. All right, boys. Take care. There he is, Sam Panionovich, Nesson. FS1, FSR. Uh, can you explain, Adam, the, the Jake Paul-Askren fights coming up this weekend? Now Jake Paul, 
uh, has a TikTok star, Justine Paradise, accusing him of sexual assault. So I have no idea if the fight's going to happen. I got Askren at plus 210. Wow. It's now down to a pick But then you're telling me there are some houses that really need Askren? Oh, it's a it's reverse line movement big time. Yeah. So, so all, all, the sharp, all the sharps are... Think, think about what you're going to say here. Yeah. Sharps all, are going to bet on the YouTube guy. No, no, no. Okay. All the public money in the world is on is on the YouTube guy. Is oh, so Paul. there's that much public but the, volume? But the line is going the other way, which means the sharps would be on Askren. So I'm a sharp. All the money is on, Until is I on lose. Paul. Well, you are anyway by getting the better side of the number. Well, I got to win it. Right. No. No. Getting the better side of the number is it's more sharp. important than winning it's the bet. Far more important. In the long term, if you're a better, okay, if, you're, if you make, if you make one bet a year, right, just winning the bet is important. That's awesome. I'm gonna if come in. I'm gonna come in after a 15 second knockout of of Ben Askren and be like, right side with the number. Well, theoretically, you if you're actually sharp, you now right. would bet Paul, right, and you'd have both sides, right. and you just that's what you're trying to do here. So, uh, but yeah, it, getting the better side of the number is is what the sharp plan is like that that's the key because in the long run you will win but again if you're somebody that's betting once a month or once a year yeah it's only about winning and losing it's not about what kind of numbers you're getting if you're betting every single day it's just about getting the right side of the number and being there but yeah right now uh that the books are desperately going to need uh uh ben Askren to win this fight uh but so many so many people are just flooding the window uh, to bet on jake paul Get that mortgage tuned up right now. 877-700-NOVA is the number to call at Nova Home Loans.